0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Main Idea Podcast. Now your host, creator of the ski system, and trainer of the year nominee, Abe Maynard. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Main Idea Podcast, where today I sit down with Scott Denning. Scott is a professor of atmospheric science at Colorado State University. After a brief stint working in the oil industry in the 1980s, Scott spent five years studying the effects of air pollution on alpine snowpack in the Rocky Mountain National Park. In the 1990s, he earned his PhD in atmospheric science and has spent over 30 years trying to better understand the metabolism of our planet, specifically how plants and soils interact with atmospheric CO2. Scott's research has ranged from field studies in the north woods of Wisconsin, the Amazon rainforest, as well as satellite missions that monitor the breathing of our planet. It was a pleasure having Scott on the podcast, and I look forward to hosting more academic faculty in the near future. Without further ado, the great and knowledgeable Professor Scott Denning. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. I know you are busy. I know you have a lot going on, but climate is pressing. and I was so excited that you agreed to be on the podcast, so thank you for being here.
1: You're very welcome, pleased to be here.
0: And uh, I wanted to just kind of jump right into it. Um, I'm scared, I think, overall, just about climate and change and everything that is happening with our weather in the world, having grown up a skier and having winter be such a focal point in my upbringing and seeing how things are changing kind of before my eyes, but what I wanted to do is really get a pulse of what is actually happening Um, from an academic standpoint, what is going on with the science, what science should we look at and dive into and what science should we maybe let go by the wayside and really just get your professional long career perspective on this sort of thing.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, what's happening to the climate is that it's warming up. it's warming up because there is an imbalance between the heat coming into the earth and heat going out of the earth. I mean, this is, uh, so just to sort of make it as simple as possible. when more heat goes into something than comes out of it, it warms up. And when more heat goes out of something than goes in, it cools off, right? This is why day is warmer than night. This is why summer is warmer than winter. This is why a pot of water uh, heats up when you put it on the stove, right? You put more heat into the pot of water than that comes out the top. Lo and behold, it changes its temperature. So the earth gets all of its heat from the sun. Um, but if that was the whole story, that would just heat up the earth more and more and more and more over time until it like melted and boiled and vaporized, it would be the end of the world. So clearly that heat has to get back out. Uh, and the way that heat heat gets back out of the earth, um, is that it's radiated back out to space. Just, just like, uh, I don't know, a radiator, right? Right. Uh, what warm thing, a burner on your stove, whatever you can feel the heat radiating off of that sucker. And the earth is doing that all the time, getting rid of its heat, uh, Comes in from the sun, goes back out to space, but the heat getting radiated out to space has to go through the air. The air is full of gas; uh, it's made of gas, and there's um, most of that gas is just doesn't do diddly squat to the outgoing radiation from the Earth. But a couple of very you know trace gases, CO2 and water especially, um, absorb the outgoing radiation, slow it down, and make it go less out to space and so the more co2 we put in the atmosphere it's it's like a blanket right it's 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 the the heat is coming in from the sun but it's not getting out as well as it used to so the earth has to warm up until the outgoing is once again equal to the incoming Um, i mean we've known about this for like 165 years Um, it's not something that we discovered recently when it when it started warming up and we wondered why why is it warming up oh look the co2 is going up maybe they're correlated No, no 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 that's not how it works uh people figured this out in the 1850s 1860s that that uh you burn carbon make co2 the co2 absorbs the outgoing heat that warms up the climate um so this was basically predicted in in you know scientific papers in the 1860s when when abraham lincoln was president
0: why was there no concern i mean this seems like alarmist to me. Like, if you know that this is going on and and we live on this planet together, everyone is here. Right. And we're inside of this thing that collects heat and radiate heats out. Right. Why would, why shouldn't, why are we not more worried about this? Why is this something? Well, that it sounds like you're then? worried, right? You, you, you started out the conversation
1: <laughs> saying, I'm scared. So, so some people are scared. Um, back in the 1860s, when it was first discovered, um, it was kind of hypothetical, right? Because nobody was burning all that much coal and gas and stuff like that back in the 1860s, uh, they sort of thought about, well, someday if they burn a whole bunch more, maybe this is going to be a big deal. And then there was a while in the 20th century when people thought, uh, well, the CO2 from coal will just dissolve into the oceans and it won't pile up in the sky and it won't uh, cause all this, all this warming. Um, but then people were f- finally able to actually measure it, starting about the time I was born in, in the 1950s. They finally invented, you know, good instruments to measure CO2. Lo and behold, it's skyrocketing, right? It's going up really fast. Uh, and and actually, by 1965, people were scared, people were worried. That there was a uh, so I was like six years old, um, and scientists wrote a famous like report to President. Johnson, pre- President, you know, LBJ, uh, explaining that burning coal, oil and gas was causing CO2 to go up, it's gonna cause global warming, there's gonna be all these problems. So it's not, it's not new. P- people have been talking about this as long as I've been a- alive. It's been big in the news since like the 1980s. Uh, there's been a big UN kind of, you know, um, hue and cry about it since 1990. Uh, We've had all of these big conferences and scientists keep jumping up and down and pounding the table and saying this is a big deal. So, I, I mean, people are worried about it. People have been talking about it as long as I've been on this earth.
0: Hello ladies and gentlemen I am so grateful to officially announce the beginning of my partnership with athletic greens I started taking athletic greens because I've always been a firm believer that health starts on the cellular level From my competitive years as an athlete to my day-to-day physical output starting my morning with an overload of valuable nutrients is the only way to go because the reality is I need every leg up that I can get to pursue a life worth living full of activity and adventure to that end quality is of the utmost importance and i can only stand beside companies that embody the values and attention to detail that i have in 2020 athletic greens purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforest and they contain less than one gram of sugar no genetically modified organisms no nasty chemicals and it tastes good i can't oversell enough how amazing it is to start every day at 5 30 knowing i've done something positive for my body my immune system and my gut so To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Abe. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Abe to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And do you think it's just not being received?
1: Well, I mean, to some degree, it is being received. I, 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 come on, you're you're doing a podcast about it because it's because you've heard of this, right? Uh, the governments of the world um, passed a treaty in 1997, promising that we were going to, you know, reduce our our fossil fuel burning. Um, they kind of didn't really carry through on that. Uh, they got together in 2015 in Paris, and every well, 194 different countries formally agreed to hold the warming to a certain limit. Um, so, I mean, to some degree it is being received, but it's not fast enough. I mean, we, we the science community are telling you we gotta do better. Um, but I, I mean, I think people are aware of this. It's it's not, uh, it, if you haven't heard about global warming, where the hell have you been, right? It's is uh, p- people are talking about this. Um, Let's go from there.
0: Yeah, I guess I just, when I hear of people that deny the climate, like that idea to me, it's just, it's surprising to me that there's a group of people that despite information that's being circulated and and, and then the fact that it just also, and maybe this is a personal experience, also just seems to be getting warmer in a noticeable way during my lifetime. You yeah, know, I've, yeah. I've been, a, been alive 33 years, but even in the 33 years, I can, like, scouts honor, say that I feel like I noticed this happening. M-
1: most I people don't,
0: can. And I don't understand how that can be not, uh, like, reciprocated in yeah. some places. And what do well, we do about that? I, I,
1: what, so, so there's two things, you know, how, how can people say this and, uh, and what are we going to do about that? So um, people say all kinds of things, right? People say crazy stuff. Uh, th- there actually aren't very many people who say it's not warming up. Uh, to just I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but um, Yale University runs this thing called the Yale uh, project on climate change opinion or something like that, public opinions about climate change. So they, they've they done, um, you know, like polling, right? right? People ask you what, what you think about things around the United States and around the world for going on 20 years now. The number of people in the United States who subscribe to this idea that climate change is not a thing or it's not happening or it's no big whoop is like less than 10%. It, it's a pretty small uh, but vocal minority of people, uh, that, that have this opinion. Um, and there's maybe another 20% who sort of shrug and say, who cares? Um, but, but it's a pretty small minority. It's, 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 certainly, um, I would say less of a minority than the, you know, COVID doesn't exist kind of, or, you know, COVID is no big deal. So it's a, it's a pretty like niche opinion. Um, and they say all sorts of weird stuff. They, they say it's not warming or they say the warming is caused by X, Y or Z, something else, or they say warming is good for you or they say uh, it, it it just doesn't matter. Um, but but all together, that's a that's a pretty small slice of, of the US and in other countries is even smaller. I mean, the US is one of the sort of um, hotbeds of this this contrarian opinion. So what, what are we going to do about this? Um, I'm not sure you can do much about it. Uh, Many of us have been trying for many years to to talk people out of this um, wrong opinion. Um, But uh, there's sort of a a hardcore of these people who are not going to change their minds. And I think we have to move on, you know, and and go ahead and and do stuff even though people disagree. Um, And this is normal, really, if you think about uh, any um, public issue, um, you know, should we have tax cuts? Should we have universal health insurance? Should we have, uh, electric cars? I mean, all, all, these things, there are people with different opinions, and yet the world moves on, right? We, we do stuff, um, even though some people object and that's, that's politics for you.
0: Do you have any perspective on, on climate change or climate science that you have gone back on over your career? That you felt mean very that I've strong. That changed
1: my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. You, you know, when I was young, when I first, so I'm 62. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I first found out about this was maybe when I was like 20, 21, 22. Um, and at that time, um, so so we're talking like the 1970s, early 80s. Um, I, I was of the opinion that this was something that was going to happen in the future, but it really wasn't happening noticeably, um, yet. And I've changed my mind about that. It, it, it is happening. It's very much noticeable. Um, but the reason I've changed my mind is because it changed, right? But, but when I was, when I was your age, there really wasn't that much uh, visible climate change. I mean, it, it, we, we knew it was coming, but it wasn't really here yet. Um, and now it's definitely here. So, so I've certainly changed my tune about that. Uh, I guess I, I used to think that, um, that that international negotiations were gonna fix it. Um, and yet, and, you know, the sort of UN secretaries of state and ministers of the environment or whatever that get together at these big conferences, we're, we're gonna you know, face the problem back in the 90s and um, pass legislation and, and fix it, but they didn't. So I've changed my mind about that. Um, yeah, I guess those do both count.
0: And so there's two things I wanna talk about that I have heard as like rebuttals to climate change being a thing. One is that the climate always changes, right? And then the other one is this idea that if that CO2 is is what is consumed by plants and trees for energy, and that that that's actually a net positive because then if there's more CO2 in the atmosphere, then there's more food, so to say, for plants and trees, et cetera, which will then grow more and produce more oxygen, and then it's this net positive. So, what do we say about those two ideas? And so, it, is there any validity to either of them? The- Thank you for bringing these up.
1: Um, both of these things are true. So, so it is true that climate has always changed over geologic time. there's, there's been you know ginormous climate changes in the past, mm-hmm. and it is also true that that plants eat CO2 for a living. That, that this is what plants do is they turn CO2 into plants, right? That that's kind of fundamentally the miracle of of life of greenness. Right. Um, <laughs> let let let's talk about the first one. Uh, climate has always changed, but but. Um, it, it changes really slowly, right? So the earth has been around for a really long time. You know, I'm old, I'm 62. Um, the the earth has been around, not just my whole life. A little longer. <laughs> uh, and not, not 10 times or a hundred times or a thousand times, but, but um, like uh, 4,500 million years. So that's like a really freaking long time. And um, in that time, climate's been all over the place. It's been hot, it's been cold, um, but, Every single time that the Earth's climate has changed in the past, it's because there's been an imbalance between the heat coming in and going out. Right, just like everything else, this is not a mystery. P- people I mean, this is really... like weight loss.
0: It's you you expel more calories than you consume. It's the same same it, concept. It's it's exactly <laughs> the same
1: concept. Uh, it's simpler than than that because there's not all this metabolism in the middle. But but the uh, the, the times that the Earth climate has warmed up, it's because the, the heat in has been greater than the heat out. And the times that the Earth's climate has cooled off because the heat out has been greater than the heat in. So because we understand all that, we know that because it changed before, it's going to change again, right? This isn't right. like, uh, because it's changed in the past, therefore, it can never change again. That doesn't make any sense. That's actually a a, a ridiculous argument. Oh, gee, we know climate can really change. So it'll never change again. What? That, that that literally just makes no no logical sense um i suppose what those people are trying to imply is that because climate has changed in the past climate change can't hurt you um right. but, but it can uh climate has changed in the past in in horrible ways that have hurt lots of things there was a uh 252 million years ago um climate change killed 95% of all living species on Earth. <gasps> oh my God, that, that would be terrible if that happened today. Uh, th- there was a climate change that happened 65 million years ago that killed off um, about three quarters of the species on Earth, including all the dinosaurs. Um, we're glad the dinosaurs are gone, right? They were big, <laughs> they had teeth, they were like, ah, really mean. Right. And they're gone right on, ding dong, the witch is dead, but... but um, you know, For the dinosaurs, that really sucked. For, for the dinosaurs, that was a terrible thing. So climate change can be really, really bad. And we know this because we can look in the past and see times that climate has changed a lot and that it has been terrible for some things. The other thing is that the climate changes of the past were pretty gradual. Um, we, we had an ice age on the Earth. Uh, it was super cold um, 20,000 years ago. I mean, 20,000 years, not that long in the long history of the Earth. Um, it's so short of a time ago that there were um, human beings running around, you know, hunting mammoths and doing their thing, living in little villages. Um, and the uh, ice started to melt 20,000 years ago. It took, it took 10,000 years to melt all that ice. Um, so 100 centuries. That, think about 100 centuries. That's a freaking long time, right? Yeah. Um, so in, in 100 centuries, the global average temperature increased by about 5 degrees Celsius, about 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it, it completely changed the world, right? The, uh, during the Ice Age, um, Asia and North America were connected. Uh, Britain and mainland Europe were connected. The Mediterranean was a freshwater lake. Um, You melted all that ice. The ocean came up 400 feet. Oh my God. Imagine if the ocean came up 400 feet, right? 40 story buildings would be underwater in Miami uh, and Shanghai and New York and and, uh, 400 foot sea level rise completely severed uh, North America and Asia completely severed uh, Britain from Europe. Uh, There was a giant waterfall that ran the wrong way through the Straits of Gibraltar and filled up the Mediterranean with salt water. I mean, oh my God, gigantic climate change. change. But, but it took 100 centuries for that. That's 0.05 degrees per century. And now we're warming two degrees per century. H- holy shit, that, that's 40 times faster than that last big global warming. So it, the other thing we learn about looking at past climate change is that it, it's not just changing now. It's changing like ridiculously fast, super fast. Uh, okay, so maybe that's enough on your number one thing, which was as climate has always changed. So what's the big whoop? Well, actually, it's a huge whoop. Um, the the other one that you said is CO two is plant food. So let's talk about that because that's that's actually my specialty is what I what I study as a scientist. Um, so you you said you're going to edit this, but whatever. <laughs> ph- 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 photosynthesis is a fucking miracle. Ph-
0: photosynthesis. That won't get edited, by the way. That's good. This is great. Whatever.
1: (laughs) Photosynthesis um, transforms inorganic air, CO2 gas in the air, into living protoplasm. It it, it is the the fundamental basic miracle of life. It transforms non-living gas into living things. Um, It's like Frankenstein, right? (laughs)
0: it's alive
1: it's this, this like amazing thing that is the basis of all life on earth if, if it weren't for this you know what would we do for for a living we have to eat stuff that did this right because we right. We, we can't do that right if we could do photosynthesis we wouldn't have to go to work we just hang out in the sun get fat and happy be like oh this is great i'm full uh, but I have a instead, good, business, uh,
0: good business venture for you. We oh, my God, back if, after. If, yeah. if only
1: we could be green. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but we're not green, we're, right. we're, we're brown, and we have to eat stuff that's green, or we have to eat something that ate something that was green or whatever. So um, the, the photosynthesis takes CO2 out of the atmosphere and turns it into living things. Now, get this, um, one-seventh of all the CO2 in the air turns into plants every year. So if that was the whole story, in seven years, there would be no CO2 and be the end of the world because the CO2 would be gone. Right. So where the hell does all that CO2 come from? It comes from death. So, so dying plants get eaten by you know bacteria or whatever, yeah. they, they rot. And so one seventh of all the CO2 in the world is created every year by death and decomposition. So there's this massive flow of carbon out of the atmosphere into plants and then out of plants back into the atmosphere. One seventh of all the CO2 every year goes, goes around and around like that. And as long as that's the, the whole thing, the CO2 doesn't change because every bit of CO2 that goes into the, into the plants comes back out of right. the, the dead plants. And that's how it was for time immemorial uh, until the Industrial Revolution. So like, wh- how do we know? Because we have the air we actually have fossil air from every year going back almost a million years. And and the way we do that is uh, little snowflakes fall on Antarctica and they trap little bits of air between the snowflakes and then uh, more snow falls on top and they squish down and then those little air pockets turn into bubbles and the ice. And then we send, you know, underpaid graduate students to live in Quonset huts in Antarctica for six months and they come back with these cores of ice. (laughs) They bring them to Denver. They go in a lab, they slice them into these little thin slices, they grind them up and they take the air pockets out and they run them through scientific instruments. And we can actually tell you what the air was made of every single freaking year back for 800,000 years. Amazing. And so what we know is that for literally for thousands of years until about 1750, The CO2 was almost dead flat. The CO2, you know, it was like 280, 279, 281. It was pretty much always right about.
0: This is all, sorry to interrupt. This is all CO2 that is produced from this relationship with sunlight coming in, plants absorbing it, decomposing, dying, bacteria, and emission. So it's just always doing this on the the in and the out.
1: So so think of it as, as life and death right yep. the amount of life and the amount of death were the same every year for like a really really long time before the industrial revolution well suddenly in about 1750 1800 the co2 started this spike up and it didn't just go up a little bit it, it's it went up instead of like 279 280 281 now it's 420. so it, it's jumped up by about 50 percent from what it was for thousands of years before the industrial revolution so the, where did that extra carbon come from where, where did the extra co2 come from why it's 420 now yeah well that yeah it was not you personally right <laughs> it, you. it's it's digging up ancient plants but plants that were fossilized fossil fuels right so so fossil fuels are literally old dead plants and almost all of the dead plants decompose and turn back into co2 but a teeny tiny bit like like really small may, maybe one in a less than one in a million uh chunks of plant gets fossilized, gets buried in the mud before it has a chance to rot, becomes, you know, coal, oil, and gas. Um busy little us, we go dig that shit up, we bring it to 7 Eleven, we stick it in our gas tank, (laughs) set it on fire. Uh that's where all this extra CO2 comes from. So so yes, CO2 is plant food. Um Plants feed and plants die and the the life and death of plants is in almost exact perfect balance over geologic time until we come along and figure out we can dig up fossil plants, set them on fire and run the world.
0: So if we're thinking about this like geological timeline, right? and for for thousands and thousands of years, this relationship is balanced that earth has created to just run itself. Then bam, humans come industrial revolution. We start emitting a bunch of CO2. Is it possible or do you see the possibility that the same way that we had an industrial revolution, that we could have an energy revolution, and that we could take back control of this in some way and like depress that vertical asymptote trend that we seem to be having? Yes, no no doubt
1: about it. So uh, let's talk about that. What what can we do about this? I, I can tell that you're sort of jumping ahead of me and thinking about how can we suck the CO2 back out of the atmosphere.
0: I'm also down to stay on the. This is really bad. Like things are going well, wrong. Part that's too. fine,
1: but 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 you know be, before we start sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere, uh, we have to stop putting it into the atmosphere. So, so um, I like to look use the example of suppose you uh, you come home from work and. Um, you find out that your bathroom sink upstairs is overflowing. Um, crap, right? There's there's water just <sighs> running out over the, the counter and it's down on the floor and it's coming through the carpet and it's coming through the drywall and it's like caving in your ceiling in your kitchen or something, you know, terrible things gonna happen. So, you know, there's a bunch of things you can do about this. You could uh, find another house. Right, uh, you, buy a Tesla. <laughs> Uh, You could uh, get a mop. Um, You could wait until somebody orders you um, a wet and dry vac off of Amazon. All all of these are pretty stupid because the thing you should do is turn off the fucking water, right? You know, like, come on, before you start cleaning it up, stop making the mess worse. So so before we start talking about vacuuming CO2 out of the atmosphere, let's talk about not putting CO2 into the atmosphere. And that means stop setting carbon on fire. So h- how do we do that? We actually know very well how to do that. We, we we want to live well. We want to have energy. We want to have, you know, transportation and light and heat and air conditioning, all that kind of good stuff of the modern world. But we want to do that without digging up carbon and setting it on fire. So uh well there's solar there's wind there's hydro there's geothermal there's nukes there's all these other ways that we know to make energy that don't involve digging up fossils and setting them on fire um the the so so that's a short answer somewhat longer answer is wait a minute uh the sun doesn't always shine the wind doesn't always blow What what do you do when it's dark and not windy so some of that is um dark and, and not windy are local. Uh, if you right. think big enough space, it's always sunny somewhere and it's always windy somewhere. So you want to have um, transmission lines to bring the, the juice from where it's being made to where people need it. Um, and the other one that is a little more expensive is storage. So, you know, if, if you can make uh, use solar power to charge your batteries during the day and then uh, use the batteries to run your uh, lights at night, stuff like that. So, you know, this is doable, uh, no, no question, actually, just FYI, um, there are already countries that, that do this 100%, that, that don't set carbon on fire, um, and that they use these other, other ways to run their energy, um, doing it for the whole world. P- people estimate, uh, you know, people estimate all kinds of things, but but the sort of ballpark estimate is... About a trillion dollars a year to completely fix this problem by by transferring everything over from
0: uh, coal, oil, and gas into other stuff. And where it sounds like it? a lot of money. Yeah, it sounds like a but, lot, and there's key resistance points, right? Oh yes, there's resistance. But, but let's areas. let's
1: talk about how much money it is. Yeah. Be, because um, so a trillion dollars a year to to save the world. Uh, guess how much we spend on coal, oil, and gas. I would imagine in excess of that. $4 trillion yeah. a year. So so fixing it will cost one fourth as much as, as just burning coal, oil and gas. So come on, if we can afford $4 trillion a year for coal, oil and gas, we can afford $1 trillion a year to not burn coal, oil and gas. Uh, the, the, uh, some other things in the same ballpark. Here's my phone. Um, it's an iPhone 11. Uh, I bought it in 2019. Um, I only buy phones maybe every four years, five years, depends on how they hold up. Uh, And I think most people kind of buy a phone every few years. People don't buy phones every year. Um, Just new phones. um, 0.8 trillion dollars a year, just brand new ones. So forget about your Verizon bill. Um, we, We spend almost as much on brand new phones as it would cost to fix the world um so it, it's it's yes it's a lot of money right we spend a lot of money on phones uh it's nowhere near as much money as we spend on gas it's nowhere near as much money as we
0: spend on cars it, it it's yeah it, it's i wonder like uh i mean maybe this is more of like a, a philosophical question about it but it's it seems that with the with the cell phone and with putting gas in your car it's an easy purchase because you get this instant gratification or it, or it's part of your identity, right? You have a phone, the phone gives you information. It gives you access. It gives you communication, uh, climate paying your money for climate improvement. Isn't cool. It doesn't seemingly give you something in the immediate that is beneficial, but it's hilarious because if we don't handle it, there won't be any, anything to be had by anybody. Right. So how do no, we, no, you, you, you got it exactly right. Almost.
1: Well, so, so maybe the way to think of it is that um, what do we do, you know, gas in your car is an interesting one. Let, let's think about lights, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when it gets dark, I turn on the lights uh, and I get instant gratification. Um, Ten years from now, uh, when it gets dark, I will still flip that switch and it will still light up and I will still get instant gratification. It's just that the energy that makes my light light up will not be made by burning coal it'll be made by solar power wind power battery power whatever um, so you still get the instant gratification with your car uh you, you don't actually get much gratification putting gas
0: in your car no I, but i would I say meant, you know you get to you get instant gratification
1: right. when you put your foot on the gas and it
0: goes which and electric that, cars go faster
1: that, that is still going to happen with your electric car absolutely So we are still going to have all of those gratifying things. We are still going to have heat and we're going to still have air conditioning. We're still going to have, uh, you know, ski lifts. We're still going to have um, lights and and cars. The difference is that they are not going to be powered by setting shit on fire. They're going to be powered by some other source of, of energy. And honestly, you could care less. Uh, that, your, that your light is lighting because some 100%. windmill charged a battery compared right. to some guy shoveled a shovel full of coal into a, into a boiler, right? You, you don't right. care about that. Right. So you still get the instant gratification. Now, now let me, let me t- I, I think where you were first going with this question was, um, can we undo the damage? And it turns out that that is much harder. So, so the reason why I went on that tirade about not setting carbon on fire is because that is actually the low hanging fruit. That is the easy, cheap, do it now, painless instant gratification part of this problem. The bummer part, the part that's really going to suck is if we don't do that first part fast enough and we have to then go clean up a bunch of the other parts. So with my analogy about the running over sink, um yeah you should have turned off that sink before you went to work dumbass. right you, you 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 let the sink run over for hours and hours and now you've got like giant chunks of wet drywall falling into your kitchen and trash in your house um crap uh right. n- now comes the part that's no fun now, now you gotta hire you know carpet installers and drywall installers and and Painters and and plumbers and stuff, because your house is trashed. So we don't want it to get that bad. We we want to stop this before the damage is severe, because repairing the damage will be much more expensive than not causing the damage in the first place. Yes, we can vacuum CO2 out of the atmosphere, but it is very, very, very expensive, and it uses a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, The reason why that
0: that was. possibility how exactly does that work you you mean physically to eject excess carbon deposits that are sitting inside of our atmosphere back out into space no not into space that that that's even more expensive
1: Uh, forget about that one Uh, so, so no what i'm talking about is turning co2 into something that stays out of the air and there's basically three ways to do this so the first way is kind of the cheapest, easiest, and that is to use it to grow plants that don't rot. Okay. So we talked about photosynthesis and death, life and death are in balance. We want to sort of swing that balance over towards more stuff growing than is dying. Yep. Um, I mean, this could be a long a long conversation, but let, let's skip to the punchline, which is that you have to replace um, low carbon landscapes with high carbon landscapes. And that pretty much means uh, growing forests where they're not already forests. So if you have yeah. like grass, uh, there's a certain amount of carbon you know, per acre in the ground. And if you replace that with a big old forest where the trees are eight feet across or whatever, there's way more carbon per acre in that forest than there were in the grass that it replaced. So, so why don't we just do this? Well, the, the, the main reason is that huh, most of the world can't support trees, right? most of it is ocean. Right. Uh, the, then there's all the deserts and the ice sheets can't grow forests there. Uh, and then for that matter, if you look at the rest of the, the planet that could support forests, most of it's already forest. So like there's already a forest in the Amazon. There's already a forest in Siberia. There's already a forest in Canada. You can't make a new forest there. So really, there's only so much room where there's not already a forest, but you could grow a forest. And most of those places are farms or cities. So we're busy with the, with that land. We, we don't really want to take Iowa and turn it into the Amazon because we're busy growing corn in Iowa.
0: Right.
1: So th- there's really only a limited amount you could do with this. Um, It's not small, but but it's only so much. Uh, When we run out of that, uh, we can do something fancy called um, biomass energy crops. So that's where we, um, again, take farmland and instead of growing food on it, we grow like soy diesel or corn ethanol or something like that uh, for fuel. And then uh, when we burn that stuff in a power plant, we we have um, chemistry in the smokestack that captures the the CO two, so the CO two went into the plants, and then it came out the smokestack. Ah! But we grab it quick before it could get anywhere. We turn it into a concentrate, and we put it somewhere. You were saying outer space? Fuck that! You can't can't do that. You 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 put it uh, deep underground where it ain't gonna come back. And that's hard. It, it's very it's expensive. Intense. Yeah. It, it it it's hundreds of dollars a ton. Um, it's much, much more expensive than say solar and wind and transmission and batteries and Teslas. Uh, but we could do it, but we're going to run out of that too, because there's only so many places that you want to take out of food production and put into, into this. So finally, there's this like last ditch, you know, when everything else fails, um, you can literally suck it out of the air. Um, it's super duper energy intensive. It It takes much, much
0: more energy to suck CO2 out of the air than we got when we put it in the air. Does that create um, like another another issue then, right? Because you have to get that energy from somewhere. Right, or right, right. You so get it from renewable sources. Well, right, and- right, right. So, so you
1: have to use you know wind, solar, batteries, nukes, whatever to, to generate all this energy to vacuum CO2 out of the air. And then you got to do something with it. You got to have some place to put it um so so this is like this is like analogous to the drywall contractor after you let your sink run over so so clearly the the first and foremost is stop digging that stuff up and setting it on fire uh which means find a, another way to keep your lights on and your car going and your you know airplanes and elevators or whatever um as soon as you possibly can because whatever you don't do that way you got to do with these other ways that are super expensive
0: so if I'm hearing this right, the lowest hanging fruit, stop burning stuff on lighting stuff with fire, stop emitting carbon from something that we can choose to not do. Like you can correct electric cars are becoming more affordable. You could choose to get an electric car instead of a gas burning car. I'm sure there's a myriad of other examples out there. And then in addition to that, there's some kind of last case, worst case scenario things that we could do that aren't very effective. And then there's some last things we can do that are really expensive. So yep. if everyone gets on board early with the not lighting stuff on fire anymore, that's our best bet to start moving forward towards some degree of like getting a foothold on this.
1: Oh, even more than some degree. I mean, we, we have to actually solve this. I, I, this is one of those things that, um, actually there aren't very many other things like this. Uh, it, it gets worse and worse and worse until we stop making it get worse. And then it's almost impossible to make it better. So you're like back against the wall, right? This is one of those things that absolutely has to be done. People haven't really got it in through our thick skulls yet, but we we really will solve this problem because the alternatives are are unacceptable. We we, we must solve this problem. So we're not just gonna get a handle on it. We're gonna fix it uh, because the alternative is catastrophe.
0: I think that it, it it blows my mind sometimes. I, I read this book uh, called *Enlightenment Now* by Steven Pinker. You may yeah, have heard I of it that about like humanism and progress and like, hey, it's the best time to be alive ever. You know, like like disease and famine and all these things that were running rampant, and killing people all the time. It, they're not present in our day to day life. Yet we go through day to day life complaining about things. Oh my, you know, my car ran out of gas, or I forgot to charge my cell phone, or my boss and my job and this things are so much better than they've ever been and they can get so 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 bad yes. to a, de- a degree that like uh, ask 10 people to draw their worst case scenario and then combine them and that's how bad it could really be it's it's i have never experienced uh famine or hunger, or I don't, I know where my next meal is coming from. I know where to get water. If I need, it. I can take a a shower. I can have time to sit and complain about things that I don't like. Imagine a life where that is, it's just not an option. And we are so far past the tipping point that there's no, then there's chaos. And then within chaos, you don't have academic bodies getting together to think about these things together and come up with solutions. Then what do you do? That's why it scares me
1: we could really blow it we, we really could right um you, you know did, did you watch the uh don't look up movie
0: yeah and I, I've I've I was like it just i I felt like it was saying so many things that needed to be said and I felt like it it hit me in like a this is where we're at is what it felt like I don't know if that's accurate which is yeah well I
1: I feel the same way I mean it was depressing uh but you know there's that scene at the end uh where they're all sitting around the table and uh leo dicaprio says we really had it all didn't we and i mean that's what you're saying from from steven pinker is like we've got a pretty good deal going here right we we've got a long life and good nutrition and medicine and uh heated houses and uh tvs and video games and um we could lose all of this we 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 don't we we aren't just entitled to this uh, in perpetuity. We we have to kind of earn it by um, taking care of the systems that that provide this for us.
0: Yeah, and I, when I was I was watching one of your it was a lecture or a talk that you did and you broke it down into these three S's that climate is simple, it's serious, and it's solvable. And I like the way that you did the presentation because. You kind of said, hey, you know, we're going to talk about it's why it is simple. Then we're going to talk about the hard part that everyone's going, you know, doesn't really want to sit here for because it's uncomfortable. That's like the movie. And then we're going to talk about how it's solvable. So we've talked about some of the ways that like things kind of must happen in this, this pecking order of what we have to handle first. But yeah. if you had like a, if Scott Denning had a megaphone and he got the megaphone to the entire world, what is like the actionable thing? What's the thing that everyone can do? on the ground level that might not be in an academic circle or or in a political circle that's making decisions and policies for this kind of stuff. What are we to do?
1: Well, as as individuals, um, probably the most important thing is what we're doing right here is talking about it, talking Mm -hmm. about it to each other, uh, raising the issue, making it part of our daily lives uh talking to our friends talking to our children talking to our parents talk, talking to each other as much as we can because this is super hu- hugely important it's probably if it's not yet the most important thing in the world it will soon become the most important thing in the world um ultimately i, I mean i've said it before we got to stop setting Carbon on fire, we, we have to do it. And not just you and me, right? It's not enough for me to like wear a sweater when it's cold, uh, ride my bike to work. Uh, it, it, it has to be everyone, everyone on earth, and, and they have to stop setting carbon on fire forever. So we can't do that, you and me, just by ourselves. We don't have it in our power as individuals to do this. So how do we reach beyond our little lives in, into the larger world? just the same as we do with everything else, right? We bitch and moan and we talk to each other and we grab each other by the shoulders and shake each other and say, hey,
0: we got to stop setting carbon on fire.
1: Um, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, in our lives, we can do stuff, uh, but if that's all we do, it's not near enough, right? If all, well, so, so let, I hate to bring this up, but remember 2020, remember two years ago right now, <laughs> Um, yeah. when, when the world was shutting down and then we all like stayed inside for three months, that, that just sucked, right? That was the yeah. terrible time. Um, during that brief period, about three months, global carbon combustion, fossil fuel emissions, went down by about 20%. Um, wow. It's the by far the biggest drop they've ever had ever. Uh, t- 20% drop for a period of months. Overall, over the whole of 2020, it was about 7% because it was really only a short period that it, that it dropped like that. But that's not okay. Like, like, I am not willing to go back and live, relive March and April of 2020 for the rest of my life. No way. Um, and, and so if you're trying to uh, fix this by consuming less, it, it, it's not enough. Right? Even that extreme draconian cut that we had in our lifestyles in the spring of 2020 was only 20% of the problem. So, getting it down 100% by that kind of, of mechanism is just terrible. We can't do that. So, what we have to do is come up with alternative ways to power the world that don't involve setting shit on fire. And, and the only way we're going to get there is by, like, raising a ruckus and, and making noise and, you know, um, rising up. Now, in the U.S., um, it's pretty slow progress. Honestly, our politics are messed up. But worldwide, this is actually happening in, in a huge way. Uh, China, so, so I'm, I don't have my numbers here in front of me, but... Um, New cars, uh, the, the uh, electric cars, I mean, five years ago, there were basically were no electric cars, right? There, there were a handful of them. Uh, now, um, 10 million electric cars are sold per year, half of them in China. So the rest of the world put together is, you know, equal to China. Um, wow, that's amazing. Uh, Ch- China is also rolling out solar and wind and long distance transmission and batteries at a phenomenal rate. Um, after China, it'll be India after India, it'll be Africa, but you, you know, fewer than 5% of people are Americans, Fi- uh, Americans are a teeny, teeny tiny minority of, of humanity. Um, we may be the foot draggers, the knuckle draggers, the people who can't get our act together. Um, which would be sad. I, I, I don't want Americans to be the backward nation that, that you know, gets dragged into the 21st century. Uh, but even if we are, um, at least we can take some comfort in the fact that the other 95% of humanity is moving forward.
0: And where do we stand on, on like, global emissions relative to, let's say, in India or China or Russia?
1: Yeah. Uh, so so are we so, in that pool? Yeah. Uh, The biggest emitters of of carbon dioxide in the world um, in order are China, the U.S., the European Union, which is actually 27 countries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then uh, I'm actually not sure, maybe Brazil, something like that. India is way down there because India is still really, really poor. Uh, But but China emits twice as much
0: CO2 as the U.S. Well, that's Um, good. That's reassuring that they're... I I don't know, is it taking a step and right? But I mean, it's not a good thing. Like here's the biggest emitter is taking steps to move in the right direction towards reducing. Well, that's right.
1: Uh, But
0: but but China went from being half of U.S.
1: emissions in 1990 to twice U.S. emissions in, in 2010. So so China just exploded the size of the. So get this. You know how they talk about economic growth, right? So, you know, last year we had 5% growth or something like that. It's actually amazing. We, we had faster growth in 21 than, than maybe 40 years. Um, but the, the Chinese economy um, grew 3,000% since 1990. So so 30 times the size that it was in 1990. It, they, they went from being dirt poor to being middle class. Um, and there are like uh, five times as many Chinese people as there are Americans. Right. So but per capita, uh, Chinese people burn um, about as much fuel as Europeans. Um, they used to not. They, they used to hardly burn any fuel. And now they burn fuel kind of equal to Europeans. But there's way more Chinese than are Europeans. So there's way more total emissions. Um, U.S. Per person, we burn more than anybody else, uh,
0: but but so that we, is a big ticket for us. Like if we enact some of the changes you were talking about as a nation, yeah. then that actually does have a. It's not an overwhelming change, but it does impact that in a in a significant way.
1: Oh, oh yeah, I mean, I I think um, the world is changing. I, I mean, um, ten years ago, uh, coal and oil and gas energy was cheaper than solar and wind by a lot Um, and now solar and wind are cheaper than coal or gas by a lot so so that's a oh my god that's a huge change right that that's the whole enchilada in a way is that it is now far not not just a little cheaper but far cheaper to make electricity from um, wind and solar than it is to make it from burning coal or, or gas and so when billions of people in India and Africa, uh, build, you know, power, uh, they are not going to use coal and gas because they're way more expensive than, than the alternative. So, right. uh, I think that was a, a giant change and, and that will help. Um, it's still urgent, right? We, we got to do this. Um, so let me talk a little bit about personal choices. Cause I know that's kind of where you were going first yeah. a- and, uh, you know, what can we do in our own lives? A- anything you do that uses energy, um, you can try to either use less or um, make it differently. So the obvious ones are, uh, the, the biggest ones in most of our lives are um, driving, heating and cooling, electricity. Uh, if you fly in airplanes, that's always one of the biggest ones. Yeah. So all of those things, uh, yeah, you know, you want to... Um, use better insulation in your house. You want to close the door when it's cold out. You want to close the windows. Uh, in the summertime, you want to close the curtains during the daytime and open open up the windows at night. All the sort of stuff that your mother would tell you, right? Tur- turn off right. the water when you're brushing your teeth. Uh, we- wear a sweater when it's cold. Don't run around with shorts on and then crank the furnace. All these kind of like, duh, uh, obvious things. Um, ride your bike to work, take the bus, uh, buy a smaller car, all all, all that stuff can help. Um, My own life, you know, I'm 62 years old, I have more money than you. Um, I have a 100-year-old house. Um, I spent quite a bit of money insulating the crap out of my house. I have a super-duper insulated house now. It's it's 100 years old, but it's real tight and it holds the heat and cold. Um, I switched out my gas furnace for a... Uh, fancy word is air source um, heat exchanger all, all that means is it's like an air conditioner that runs backwards in the winter so during the winter i mean it's freaking cold out today right it's like eight degrees outside Yes. um but but <laughs> what i'm doing is i'm air conditioning the outside and then the waste heat is coming into my house and that's what's keeping me toasty warm in here is without electricity. having to turn
0: on. Ah, i gotcha
1: so so i'm not setting carbon on fire i'm using electricity Uh, And then, where do I get my electricity? I bought a bunch of solar panels, but I live in a 100-year-old neighborhood that's got too many trees for solar panels. Uh, The city of Fort Collins um, leased a big field out at the edge of town, and put in racks and racks and racks of solar panels, and then sold them to people like me. So I bought 40 solar panels on racks out by I-25, and that makes all of my electricity which then I use for heating and cooling my house, for running my computer, for running my lights. I have an electric car. I plug in my car. You know, I basically don't set carbon on fire anymore. And the city of Fort Collins is uh, within the decade, by, by 2030 uh, we'll get 100% of our electricity without setting carbon on fire. So Amazing. you don't even have to have solar panels. If you electrify your lifestyle um, and your utility is using solar and wind, you're good. So, so the magic words here are first clean up electricity and then electrify everything. You wanna have electric heat and electric cars and electric, you know, everything.
0: And then I hear sometimes in opposition to that, that, that we're gonna face some really big battery issue in the future where we're, we're gonna have this big problem with batteries. How much concern do we place on that? And to me, that's like a chicken before the egg thing. Like. Okay, you don't have the luxury to worry about batteries if you don't even get to live long enough to see them because everything gets messed up along the way.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully it isn't quite as bad as you're going to die before you get a battery. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's more like um, electrifying our entire lifestyle will require a boatload of electricity, right? There, there's no, no, way, no two ways around it. Um, So we have to have better transmission of electricity. Uh, Most people don't know this. Uh, Our current electrical grid can only move electricity about 300 miles, which is terrible. right? Imagine imagine if phones uh, had to be made less than 300 miles from where they were used. Every single phone on Earth had to be made within 300 miles. I, I mean, there would be phone factories everywhere. And that's exactly how electricity is. Electricity is made everywhere because it can't really be moved from place to place very well. The the wires, um, it's not that they leak, they have resistance in the wires and the the juice can only be pushed about 300 miles before it runs out of oomph. So we we have a new technology for this. Uh, Think of it as like interstate highways for electricity that could move juice uh, across almost infinite distances. So imagine like solar panels in uh, Nevada keeping the lights on in New Jersey. Imagine wind farms in Scotland keeping the lights on in Beijing. You, you know, imagine wow. the Sahara having uh, the, the juice to keep the lights on in Norway. So um, by, by moving electricity sideways, we're going to take care of this problem where there's not enough electricity. Um, and it's gonna take some serious investment, right? Just like building the interstate highway system took, took a lot of investment, we're gonna have to dig deep and invest in in long distance transmission to be able to do this. Uh, The nice thing is they don't have to be giant towers. It can actually be, um, it's a cable about as big as my leg that runs um, under the interstate uh, median strips. So you you run a ditch digger down, you know, the the grassy median strip between the northbound and southbound lanes. And about three feet down, you lay this big honking huge cable and it carries electricity thousands of miles. so I don't agree that there's going to be some battery catastrophe. I, I think um, you could not run the whole world on electricity tomorrow. Um, but but give us 20 years, you'll be able to
0: run the world on electricity. We, we just got to get on the stick. Do you do you feel like I mean, th- this stuff sounds great to me. I mean, it sounds optimistic. It sounds like there's possibility to right this wrong, so to speak, when I consider, and again, I have no academic background of this at all, so correct me everywhere that I'm wrong, but when I consider the geological timescale of this, how long it's taken for certain changes to happen, and then, like you said, how quickly other changes have happened that are uh, seemingly irreversible, is it possible that we're already past this tipping point, that things that are going on on the seafloor and things that are going on in the atmosphere are so complex like it's such a complex relationship that we've already moved so far and we're really seeing now the results of things that perhaps presented themselves a while ago and they're just showing up now.
1: Yeah. You know, I hear this a lot, this this concern. So, so um, I mean, the short answer is no, we do not think that we are past some point of no return. So, so let me just like put it to bed. Yeah. Uh, the the Expert consensus opinion about this, people like myself, people who study this, spend our whole lives trying to trying to work all this out. Um, we do we we see no evidence that the earth has crossed some kind of threshold be you know that we can't get back from uh with re- regard to climate change. Um there are almost certainly such things exist. So so this is a little bit more nuanced. Um It is possible. It it is not crazy to suggest that if we keep doing this, if we keep pushing and pushing and pushing beyond some bounds, bad bad things are going to happen. And those bad things might include stuff like thawing all the permafrost uh, up around the Arctic Circle, which would then release all this carbon that's been stored up there in the freezer. For, it's like unplugging your freezer, right? Eventually the, the, the food will go bad. Similarly, way up there in the Arctic, there's all this organic matter that's been, you know, in the soils for thousands of years because it's frozen up there. And if you if you warm up the world enough that those soils thaw, then all, all of this carbon could decompose and go into the atmosphere and you have CO2 that that goes up on its own without us setting carbon on fire. Uh, other things like that, if you continue to cook the world so that massive forests like in the Amazon or Siberia die and all of that carbon goes into the atmosphere, that that's a sort of tipping point that, that would be very hard to reverse. Um, there's other things like that that, that uh, potentially are out there. Um, Ice sheet collapses if Antarctica were to to melt, um, oceans would rise by hundreds of feet. That that would be catastrophic. Um, however, to up to now, there is no evidence that any of those things ha- are happening or are starting and and you know running away with themselves. So, um, really, the way to look at that is is. D- don't do that, right? right? <laughs> if, if, if you if you're worried about tipping points, stop setting carbon on fire because maybe those tipping points are out there, um, but we have not yet crossed them. And all the evidence to now suggests that um, basically, as soon as we stop setting carbon on fire, the CO2 will stop going up, the warming will stop. Uh, you know, it's bad enough. Let's not make it any worse.
0: I, I was going to ask you this, and I feel like I already know the answer, but like, what what do you think? I think of climate change and climate stability as maybe the opposite of that. Like it, it seems that on the other end of this conversation, what people want is for the climate to stop changing, which seems absurd because it won't, but maybe getting it to a place where some of these really big, oh shit moments are off the table. Like yeah. the Amazon disappearing, let's get that off the table. Let's get the ice caps melting off the table. What do you think is the biggest thing uh, and be that on personal levels, or politically, that stands between us today and making a really big step towards heading in the right direction as like a whole world?
1: Well, it's politics. I mean, there, there is um, I, I mean, I, you, you know, um my generation grew up with star trek so we have this cliche or meme about uh, damn it jim i'm a you know xyz i'm a doctor not an xyz so so uh, you know damn it abe i'm a climate scientist not a politician but but um you know the cynical view is uh moneyed powerful interests that are profiting from the way things are going Um, have good lawyers and lobbyists and uh, they have politicians that are bought and paid for and they're trying to resist uh, the kinds of things that we have to do that will put them out of business. Um, I I, I mean, I think that's probably it. Uh, Now, the the maybe flip side of that is that um, imagine 100 years ago, um, you, you know, people used to, uh, honestly, I mean, this is disgusting in, in New York city, people used to pee in a bowl and dump it out the window. What, what a disgusting thing, right? That was before they had indoor plumbing. I mean, it was more than a hundred years ago, maybe 140 years ago. Um, and, uh, imagine if the chamber pot, uh, manufacturers had the kind of lawyers and lobbyists that the oil and gas uh, industry has today, right? And and they bought their politicians and they, you know, got in the way of, uh, of indoor plumbing. And they said, Oh, no, it would be too much work to dig up the streets and put in sewer lines. You know, what what, about my God, you want to knock out the wall between my kitchen and my living room and put in a toilet? What a bunch of crap, right? Obviously, those people need to get the fuck out of the way and let us fix this. We know what to do. It's not cripplingly expensive. It, it, it will actually generate income for all those people that put in the sewer lines and the plumbing and all that stuff 100 years ago. Similarly, people are gonna get paid to run power lines and batteries and windmills and all this stuff, right? It's not like nobody will have jobs. It's like the jobs will come from a different industry. And if I were in the oil and gas industry, I would look at diversifying my business plan because that's just not where the money's gonna be anymore. You know, what? what these people are just idiots.
0: I think it's, it's so funny you say that. I think about this all the time. I I'm, I can imagine how ingrained the financial problems are here with climate and that the incentives are just skewed in the wrong direction. And there's there's so much to keep everything the way it is because of money and not invite these new industries, which you've mentioned, but that's the, like, the American way of opportunity and capitalizing on things. There's not, no more exciting industry than solving all this problems because you have to solve it forever.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, you've heard my, my talks before, so, so you know where I'm going with this. But, like, uh, so I used the indoor plumbing example, right? This was a ginormous project, right? This was, this was at least as big as fixing climate change. Uh, they had to dig up every street in New York and Paris and London and lay sewer pipes. They had to knock out tenement walls 20 stories high and put in hot and cold running water. They had to knock out all the, the ind- indoor walls in the flats and put in toilets and sinks and showers. It was a ginormous project. It took 20, 30 years. And it cost a huge amount of money. Um, and it didn't bankrupt the world far from it, right? It made lots and lots of money for millions of people doing all that work. Uh, it, they did it again with rural electrification, right? They ran separate little copper wires to every farm in Nebraska so that people could have lights. Uh, phenomenal expense. If you had to do that now with union labor, right? U- union electricians at 50 bucks an hour to do that, it was just crippling and expensive. And right. yet, we we did this. In my adult life, so I, I like this one. Uh, since since I was your age, um, we started with PCs, right? So like, let's say 1980, uh, IBM PC, 3,000 bucks. Um, we we put $3,000 PCs on 3 billion desks in, in a matter of less than a decade. Um, do, do the math. $3,000 times 3 billion desks is $9 trillion just for the first one. And then we did it every three years, my entire adult life. So, so that's like, I don't know, a $100 trillion that we spent on PCs since I was your age. And think about this. Did it bankrupt the world? No. That's where all the jobs came from. My entire adult life was building and selling and installing and maintaining PCs. And when we were done with that, we did the Internet. And when we were done with that, we did mobile phones. So it's not like our civilization can't do these scale of things. We do them all the time. That's what makes us different than the middle ages is that we replace old things that we don't like with new things that we like better. Duh, this is like normal for our civilization. So I think the idea that a bunch of executives in oil and gas industries can just stop that stop progress forever is ridiculous. They'll never stop this. This has been happening in Western civilization for 500 years. And the idea that they can just spend enough money on, on Madison Avenue to, to, to halt progress in like 1950, come on, what are you smoking? It's not gonna happen.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I'm very much in in support and I'm optimistic about our continued drive to improve things. And it's almost like we're just waiting for, <laughs> we're waiting for a bunch of executives to die off and and <laughs> they not trickle down to the next level of of greed or whatever it, i mean whatever it is it, yeah. it, and not even to get overly politicized about it but there's clearly a misalignment of incentives and at some point and i and i think money when when it's seen how lucrative this new ventures can be then it'll go oh yeah no we'll do you know Oh, yeah. We'll look, do at Elon Musk.
1: Look, look at Elon Musk and and tell me that he's, you know, failing because nobody wants
0: electric cars. Yeah. What he's done. And I so I'm in my group of friends. I'm a very big fan of Elon Musk. Some of my friends are absolutely not. And I find what he's done really impressive. I, maybe in my eyes, the single most uh, pivotal thing that's happened to our like our world, our society is he made electric cars cool electric cars like the ev1 had came out and it got shut down it got destroyed people hated it and then the few celebrities that adopted it they got ridiculed for it and then there's a whole scandal with GM and the and they basically disappeared the cars yeah here's a guy who brought what has to happen this isn't an option cars have to go electric he made it cool yeah and now people are they're trading in their leases to get leased Teslas and yeah. now Ford's making electric cars yeah. and all the old dogs that were like, We don't want to we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want to change the wheel. They're yeah. like, oh wait, people are like, okay, cool. Now let's make money, let's do right. it. I, I
1: yeah. mean it's the same thing actually that happened with cars, right? Before there were cars, there were horses and, and uh, carriages or whatever, and they were cheaper than cars. So you can imagine the uh, you know the propagandists of nineteen ten saying, <laughs> you know, we can't afford cars. Uh, you know, we're, we're cars are going to cost thousands of dollars. Who's going to pay for that shit? Well, you know, everybody did. And that's exactly what's going to happen over and over and over. I just think this idea that we're stuck in 1955 and, and we're never going to move beyond that is, is ridiculous.
0: So I want to close with two things. One is we never touched on sea level. I'd love to talk about that and the right. potential uh threats that that may or may not impose on us. What's to be worried about what can be dismissed, and then the, I've I've read and heard things about uh, weather disasters creating amounts of damage, and that climate dismissers will say that yes, well, all, the damage caused by these things is being recognized as higher, but that's just because there's more dense, more density of population and things in the area. So when uh, let's say a hurricane of equal energy comes through, it causes 10 times the damage. And we record that when in reality, it's the same type of hurricane that we've been getting. But now it's just more damaging so, monetarily. So,
1: so that basically, just like what you said about plant food, I mean, these, these are true things, but they don't mean that we're safe. Um, so so let's talk about sea level rise. So, so uh, sea level um, is controlled by, by two things. Uh, f- first is how much water there is in the sea, and the second is by how big the water is. Okay, okay I know this sounds kind of stupid, but but uh, as the water warms up, it expands, J- just like everything else. I mean, I do this experiment in my class where I, uh, I I fill up a beaker with water, and I put on a burner at the beginning of class, yep. and I just start talking like I do. And over the course of the class, the, even though there's no more water going in the beaker, the water fills the, to the top, it starts spilling over and you know, sizzling against the burner. is it? Because the water expands when it's warm. It's just what it does. Uh, so global warming is, is causing sea level to rise simply because the ocean is warming up and, and swelling up in its boundaries. Um, up to now, that's actually the dominant source of sea level rise, is, is the thermal expansion of the water itself. Not, not that hard to understand. Uh, the other thing that causes the sea level to rise is taking water off the land and putting it in the, in the ocean. So, what am I talking about there? I'm talking about ice. So, the, the ice that's already in the ocean has already displaced all the water it's going to. Like, uh, So, I told you my, my, my beaker on the burner story for sea level rise. You can do a similar experiment, you can do it at the same time uh, with a beaker with a bunch of ice cubes in it. And that one. the the level in the beaker will not change by the end of class because the the ice cubes have already displaced exactly the same amount of of water Mm -hmm. that they're going to take up when they're melted. Uh, So melting sea ice doesn't do anything to sea level. Uh, Melting the ice in the Arctic, which is all floating ice, that doesn't do anything. The Antarctic is ice on land. Um, Melting the ice in the Antarctic is not like having ice cubes melt. It's like taking new ice cubes out of your freezer and dumping them in there. You know, now Makes the water sense. goes up. So um, the ice on land is melting and that's the other half of sea level So Half of it is swelling up and half of it is ice from land flowing into the, into the ocean. And uh, so, so the short version of this is that it's very slow. Um, if- like
0: mill- Millimeter slow?
1: millimeters per year, yeah. uh, you know, times a hundred years is, is getting close to a meter. And so it does
0: not, uh, just to be clear, this never dip depresses. It does not go down, right? It's, this is a constant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Process. Yeah. It adds to the, to the water. And I mean, the, the only way to get rid of it is to take water out of the ocean, um, which primarily means growing the ice sheet in Antarctica. Um, and that ain't happening. So, so, um, Worst case that we can sort of cook up over the next century or so is maybe a meter, uh, which is a lot. You know, three feet, uh, three and a half. I, 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 I don't know if you are, are familiar with coasts, but yeah. um, in, in Florida, three feet of sea level rise would be really,
0: really bad, right? Yeah, or, New Jersey, or New York. L-
1: Louisiana, New Jersey, uh, Outer Banks of North Carolina, all those places, flat. Flat places, flat coasts are are in big trouble um, because uh, a foot of sea level rise when when the when the land is flat and it comes way in, versus steep coasts like California, it's not that bad. I mean, right. I shouldn't say it's not bad, but but it doesn't come very far inland if there's mountains uh, right. against the coast. Um, but actually, a lot of the world is is a lot of the people in the world live on very flat coasts because they're easy living. They're they're, uh, river deltas, they're good ports, they're good uh, farmland. Uh, So places like the Rhine Delta, which is the Netherlands or the Brahmaputra Delta, which is Bangladesh or uh, Shanghai or Hong Kong. No, not Hong Kong because that's mountainous. Um, New York, but not LA, you know, Miami, but not, uh, San Francisco. So so different cities have different vulnerability to this. Now, I did not say five meters. I, I said one meter. Um, someday, uh, it, it might be six meters uh, if Greenland melts. Right. And Greenland might melt in hundreds of years. Uh, so not in the 21st century, but maybe by the 20- fourth or 25th century, you might have six meters. If Antarctica melted, it would be 70 meters, so 200 feet. Um, and that would be just absolutely, you know, history ending bad. But that would take thousands of years. That's not going to happen in decades. And it's not even going to happen in centuries. That, that's going to take a really long time. So, so sea level is potentially a, a huge game end kind of event, uh, but it's very, very slow. Um, now, there's one other wrinkle about this that you have to think about, and that is that it isn't really like I just said. The, the, the real problem is not that sea level swallows Miami, although that would suck. The, the real problem is that the storms start from a higher point. So let's just say that you have a house in South Florida that's uh, two feet above sea or, you know, let, let's say it's five feet above sea level. And now suppose you have a big storm like a hurricane and the, the waves from that hurricane um, are four feet above sea level. Well, you're OK because your house is five feet above sea level. But if you now have one foot of sea level rise and that same storm, now your house is flooded. So, so the, the, the question isn't really when does the average sea level come into your house? The question is uh, what used to be a like hundred year event. You know, oh, my God, that hasn't happened since my great grandfather's day. Right. becomes like an every 10 years thing. You know, we had Hurricane Sandy in, in New York City uh, and it, it flooded the, the New York City subways. That, that was bad. That was really, really bad. Um, there's only been one foot of sea level rise but it was, it was the important foot, right? It was the foot uh, above the seawall that that ocean water came into the New York City subways and did billions and billions of dollars worth of damage that would not have happened without that one foot of sea level rise. If, if that sort of thing happens once, you fix it. If it happens again 10 years later, you maybe fix it again. But if it happens again five years after that, pretty soon you're abandoning that subway line, right? Because right. It, it just becomes too much to, to p- keep putting Band-Aids on it. So really, sea level rise isn't about when does Shanghai disappear. It, it's more like how often does Shanghai have to get evacuated?
0: Right. Or when do people in coastal communities decide that they no longer want to be going back and forth to their home? And th- they go, you know what, we're just going to move inland. And then these coastal communities suffer. There's no economy there. It, it's really fascinating to me to to talk about climate because It we talk about issues like we talk about the sea level rising, or we talk about carbon in the atmosphere, or we talk about the ice caps. But there's it's not like we're all just sitting here watching the sea level going, No, we're okay, (laughs) we're okay, we're okay, okay, guys, run. You know, it's yeah, there's so many things that happen as part of this system, yeah, being intertwined. And if you're in New York and you live near the battery, and all of a sudden a hurricane comes through and it's horrible and it's two times as bad as sandy which maybe the sea level is still inside of this thousand year window but we get a 10x storm because of xyz factors that's a game-changing storm that might put you know a city like new york on permanent notice yeah and then now nobody wants to live there because the thought of that happening again or or their family and loved ones and displacement and this and that No one's going to be willing to take on that risk. And then that
1: probably the the people who really think about that are mortgage companies and insurance companies. So so you're right that uh, like residents of the battery in New York City are thinking about that. But but think about instead um, investors on Wall Street who buy up mortgage backed securities and the value of real estate in South Florida. And um, if you start getting these storms that actually wipe out large swaths of real estate in South Florida and do one hundred billion dollars worth of damage, um, insurance companies will go belly up uh, and they will stop issuing policies for, for those properties and then banks will stop writing mortgages for those properties. And then the value of those properties essentially goes to zero because if you can't borrow money to buy a house, that house isn't worth anything. And so what you're probably looking at with regard to sea level rise in the United States is something like the real estate bust of 2008, only much, much, much worse, right? So, So really huge amounts of real estate get written off as worthless because of the frequency of these events that that kind of can
0: cascade through the financial system as we saw in 2008. It seems like like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac should be the, the biggest climate proponents you know, in interest of, of saving their business and keeping everything and, around.
1: And in fact,
0: uh, they are.
1: Uh, um, so, so it's actually maybe a little bit more technical. But uh, so in, insurance companies actually buy insurance. From companies called reinsurance companies, and there's like three really big ones in the world. There's Swiss Re and these other re's. Reinsurance uh, industry it is this gigantic sort of you know financial system thing that lends money to insurance companies to cover um, insured losses, and those guys are the the most loudmouth climate change. Activists in the world—they they really are. They're they're rattling the cages of, of governments. They're hiring their own lo- lobbyists. They're uh, going to the Paris climate meetings. They're 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 really pushing because those guys' entire business model is is in jeopardy
0: because of climate change. Does that create another uh, issue within the the climate change discussion, or or perhaps ammunition for a denier? In that, okay, you're going to demonize industries that need coal and and burn energy for monetary reasons and and greed and yada, yada. But meanwhile, you're going to support these other financial institutions that are going to go and they're kind of doing the same thing. I'm not I'm not supporting or
1: demonizing anybody. I I think we have to stop setting carbon on fire. And so do the investors who are on the hook to pay for the damages. I, I mean, there's there's no there's no contradiction here. Right. Um, there are some people who are um, making money by doing damage to other people. And the people who are getting the damage done to them are complaining. Are, are we
0: surprised about this? No, I mean, this is the way the world works. Right. Well, Scott, I think uh, I wanted to still cover the one, the oh yeah about, topic about uh, the hurricanes is... and the value, like damage value. Yeah. So let's let's quick do that. So um, it is true
1: that uh, damages from hurricanes um, increase with time primarily because of the exponentially increased values of coastal real estate. Right. If you look at uh, the median home price in Miami, over the last 50 years, I, I don't know what it is, but it's it's increased really a lot, right? Right? I mean, uh, even just in the last year, it went up, I don't know, I mean, the, even across the whole US, the median home price went up like 21% in, in 2021, uh, amazing. So if it does that for decades, I mean, my God, the, the values are phenomenally above what they were 50 years ago. And so the same hurricane does much, much, much more dollar damage. So it's actually a terrible way to measure the impact of climate change in dollars of damage because you are mixing these things up in, in a way that, that is not clear. Um, besides the, the, I mean, the, the big one is really the inflation of real estate values. Uh, the other one is that people are moving to the coasts, right? So, so not just in the US, but all over the world, People move to coasts. Coasts are nice. People like coasts. People like the beach. Um, There's ports there. There's jobs there. There's money there. People move to the coasts. So not only is the real estate worth more, but there's more people in in those real estate places. So this is all mucked up with the idea of dollar damages with hurricanes. Now, there are more damages, but it's hard to pull these things apart, to to pull apart how much of that dollar damage is due to development, how much of it is due to real estate inflation, how much of it is due to hurricanes. Um, I I think this is a red herring. I I think this is interesting. This is true. uh, But kind of who cares? Because we also know that when the sea level comes up three feet, those houses are going to be worth nothing and and who cares what they were inflated to in 2020 if in 2040, they aren't worth diddly. And then there isn't any dollar damage going on because nobody can afford those. I mean, nobody can can get a mortgage on those houses. So r- really the question is, when are you going to stop setting carbon on fire so that real estate gets wiped out, not how much of the historic damage is due to real estate inflation. That That's just like, it's a diversion tactic. Right, People who, right. who harp on this issue are just trying to get you to look over there and, and, and not look
0: at, at the real problems. Right. That makes sense. Well, I've, I am so grateful that you ah. came on the podcast and you took the time out and talked about this. I, I think I admittedly came out of this a little worried, but I honestly do feel a little bit more optimistic. I, I feel like... Good this situation is dire. It's real. It needs to be considered. We need to talk about it from all angles and everyone should recognize that the climate is changing and it is going to continue to change, but the degrees to which we allow it to change to can have serious impacts on us. And we can do things on the individual level and on the greater level to change this, but it's also really nice to hear that there are there's solutions and there's things in place that people are working on. They're working towards and, and it's proactive and that this is kind of a great way to continue to like drum up information yeah. and ideas about it. So, it doesn't help to throw
1: up your hands and say, I give up. That, that, that is no. not, that is not the solution. The solution is to stay engaged. The solution is to take it deadly serious cause it is deadly serious. Uh, but actually fix it. Don't, don't right. just, say oh my god the end of the
0: world because it's not the end of the world unless you let it be the end of the world and that will be the mic drop moment i'm going to go home and i'm going to stop burning carbon awesome <laughs> thank you All right. Scott. thank nice you nice to
1: talk with you abe that was really fun
0: you've been listening to the main idea podcast Profiling pros within the health, wellness, and sports industries. It's real and raw discussions about how real people lean on themselves to accomplish great things. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had fun. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Till next time, this is the Main Idea Podcast. Listen. Delicious. Learn, Learn, evolve. evolve.